So this morning we're going to continue in our series, Heed the Warning, in the book of Jude. So if you will, go ahead and turn to the book of Jude, uh, second to last book of the Bible, and one of the shortest books of the Bible. And we're going to be in Jude, verse 6. Jude, verse 6. Now today we're going to talk about a topic that's probably not preached about a whole lot, but I think it's important because you see it so often in Scripture. So once you found your place there in Jude, verse 6, please stand to your feet as we honor the Word of God. Beginning in verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Let's pray. Lord God, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for this small book in the Bible called Jude. We're thankful, Lord, for your earthly half-brother who penned this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we know it's a small book, it contains so much truth, so much that pertains to us in this day and age. Lord, we know the Bible is a living book. It's, it's the living word. Um, it's your very own words, God. And Lord, we know that Jesus is the word who's from the beginning. Um, the Word who became flesh. And Lord, when we read your Word, we are literally reading and learning about your very character, your characteristics, who you are, and what you have deemed as moral and objective and true. So God, today as we look at your Word, I pray that you would give us um, wisdom, give us strength, encourage us today, God, in our faith, and help us also to beware, Lord, of what can happen in our lives when we take you off the throne and we place ourselves on the throne. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, just by a show of hands, how many of you guys remember the show Touched by an Angel? Yeah, so most people in here. I think it probably didn't go off air until probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Very popular show. I mean, it was one of those really feel-good shows. The whole show was about basically this angel um, who was getting messages from God and was working in the lives of different people. In other words, this angel was communicating a message to people in their particular circumstances in life. So today we're going to talk about angels. And in particular, we're going to talk about the angelic rebellion that Jude verse 6 mentions. It's no secret that humanity has been interested and at least curious about angels for centuries. If you think about many of the uh, statues from ancient uh, times, a lot of those are statues of angels. If you think about uh, any, many of the decorations even that we use for Valentine's Day, those are a lot of times pictures of what humans deemed as angels and what angels might look like. Angels are uh, seen in a lot of movies and in a lot of um, thoughts when it comes to biblical ideas. And you know, a lot of times when you see um, uh, Renaissance art, sometimes you'll see angels present in that. So angels obviously have been a very important part of human history and a very important part of Scripture uh, for sure. You see angels throughout the Bible. Um, almost in every book of the Bible, you're going to hear or see something about an angel. So today as we continue our series in Jude, we're going to look at these angels, but in particular we're going to look at this angelic rebellion which composed of what we would call today as demons uh, and also Satan. So there's a few different things that I want us to look at. The first thing that I want us to do though is I want us to answer this basic question, what are angels? So we're going to look at verse 6 there in the book of Jude, and we're going to just kind of break this verse down into three different parts. So in verse 6, it says, and the angels. And I just want to stop there with that first part, and the angels. So let's talk about what they are. You know, it's hard to really understand and grasp what God is trying to communicate if we have some kind of blurred understanding of what an angel is. 
A lot of us are probably going to understand angels by what we've seen on movies, which basically means we're letting Hollywood define what angels are, you know, which can be very problematic, as you all know. But I think it's very important that we let the Bible define what we're talking about. What does the Bible say about angels, and how are they used by God, and how do we see them in Scripture? The most notorious interaction with an angel is found in Luke chapter 1, which you don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write that down, where we see the angel Gabriel, one of the very few angels in Scripture who actually have a name, telling Mary about the fact that she will give birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We also see in Scripture the archangel um, Michael. Um, He is also another angel that is named in the Bible, and he is seen fighting Satan in Revelation and arguing with Satan in Jude 9. So uh, Michael is seen as more of a warrior-type angel, whereas Gabriel would have been more of a messenger-type angel with messages sent from God. The only other angel whose name we know in Scripture is Satan, uh, or as he was probably known before being cast out of heaven, Lucifer. So now that kind of gives you an idea of some angels in Scripture. Now understand that even there are also many other angels in Scripture that are not named, that we hear mentioned in biblical narratives and biblical stories. But those are the three most prominent that I'm sure you've heard of, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. So a few things that the Bible teaches about angels. The first thing I want to mention to you is the Bible teaches that angels do not marry and therefore do not procreate or have babies. And if you're taking notes and you want to just write these references down, maybe for you to check out later, Matthew 22:30 says this, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So here, although he's talking about those who have been resurrected, in other words, those of us who are Christians, Jesus is answering this question, that one day when we die and go to heaven, we don't marry, you know, we, we don't have those same romantic relationships that we had here on earth. He's saying that we would be like the angels. So deferring to that would mean that the angels do not have uh, marriages, that they don't have those romantic relationships, that they don't procreate and have children. So that's an important uh, fact about angels. The Bible also teaches that angels do not die. Luke 20, verse 36 says this, For they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God since they are children of the resurrection. And that is also in that same vein of understanding where Jesus is answering a question about those who have been resurrected from the dead, those who have gone on to heaven. And he again compares them to angels saying that they will not die. So we know that angels don't die. The Bible also teaches that angels were created by God. So a lot of times, you know, you may have certain sects or religious movements who might say or give Satan um, the, the identity of, of a god. And they may say that he is a god and that he was uncreated. And they believe in what's called dualism, which says there is an equal balance of good uh, and evil in the universe. And for that to happen, you've got to have a great good god and a great bad god. And there's some who would try to say Jesus is that good god and Satan is that bad god. But again, we're not even on the same uh, playing field at this point. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the creator God who made all things by the, 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 the speech of his mouth, whereas Satan is simply a created being who was created by that same Jesus. The Bible teaches in Psalm 148.5, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And that is talking about the angels there in the 148th Psalm. The Bible also teaches that angels actually do have wings. Now, I've thought in the past that, okay, that was just like a human uh, construct, construct that humans have placed wings on angels, but the Bible actually does teach that angels have wings. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, it talks about the seraphim, which were a particular group of angels, a particular created group of angels that had a particular job in heaven. And in Isaiah 6, 2, the Bible says seraphim were standing above him. This is in one of Isaiah's prophetic visions. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. So angels have more than two wings. That's probably the, the only inaccuracy when we see angels with wings. Uh, the seraphim actually had six wings. Ezekiel chapter 1 teaches of another group of angels called the cherubim. And these angels had four wings. Um, so so when, you, when you think about that, you understand that, wow, there is a certain level of truth to what we've always believed about angels. Maybe just not exactly that. Um, when you try to begin to picture the descriptions of these angels, you begin to think of just some kind of a creature that you really can't explain. I mean, just the beauty of its creation and, and the uniqueness of how God created them. And then when you realize that the angels were created, uh, the seraphim and the cherubim were actually created to dwell in the presence of God. Their, their job and their uh, purpose was to protect the holiness of God, to praise God, to worship God, and to dwell in His presence. So when you think about a creature that was created to do just that, then you can start to realize why God made them so beautiful and so unique and so unexplainable. In reality, there's really nothing in the created order of earth that we can even imagine that would compare to what an angel would look like. The Bible also teaches that angels have free will. And this is found in 2 Timothy 2.26. It says this, Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. And that's a very important thing to remember, that angels indeed have a free will. Uh, in many ways, like us, they can choose what they do. And we're going to see a, a very important choice that they made um, sometime in the past that affected greatly many of their uh, destinies. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 says this, Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. That's found in Colossians 2, 18. Now, I, I put that in there for this purpose. There are some people, in, as they study about angelic beings and they study about demons, that they begin to worship those angels and those demons. You'll even find some people who try to talk to angels and demons. I want to tell you that that is very dangerous. Uh, that is not something that we were ever meant to do. We were never meant to try to communicate with angels. And when you begin to try to pray to an angel or you begin to try to make contact with an angel, I'll tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find a demonic presence. You're going to find an angel that is not of God. Uh, there are angels out there that will communicate to you, and I will not deny that. And I think we see that in our culture today. Um, a lot of people who um, are, are you know, very uh, uh, dark in, their, in a spiritual sense, a lot of people who, who commit some of the most heinous and vile crimes, I think many of those you're going to find in somewhere in their past, they have been involved in a seance, or they have been involved with the use of a Ouija board, or they have tried to communicate with that demonic realm. And what happens is, is you can't just do that with no effect. You can't just do that with no consequences. The moment you begin to co make contact with that, there's something that can latch onto you if you're not careful. And there's a presence that can latch onto you that can actually try to influence you from the outside and work their will in you. 
And I think the Bible teaches very clearly that demonic possession is a real thing. So again, as we talk about angels, remember they are not to be worshipped. They are not to be communicated with. They are to be understood. They are to be um, looked at, researched, whatever it may be. All with the understanding of how great our God is to have the ability to create these beautiful creatures. So now that we know what angels are, the next thing that I want us to see here in Jude verse 6 is what's called the angelic rebellion. So if you're taking notes, write that down, the angelic rebellion. And that's simply in the second part of the verse, which says, um, And the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling." So the angels we're talking about today are those who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling. So if you guys don't already know this, this month is being called Pride Month. And I thought it was very important that I bring this up because if you have an iPhone, let's say, and you have the calendar that's in the iPhone, if you go to June the 1st, you're going to see that uh, Apple Corporation has already put into your phone for you that June 1st is the beginning of Pride Month. Um, and it says this, um, uh, quoted, first day of LGBTQ plus Pride Month. And that's what you're going to find in your iPhone. I actually tried to delete it out of my phone. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to delete the stock holidays that are in your phone. You can't delete it. You can't delete any of the stock holidays. But it's good for us to understand that that is a thing. And it's good for us to understand in light of this angelic rebellion, really what this kind of a, a Pride Month or, or the, the roots really of the LGBTQ plus movement Really, where do they find their roots? Where, where did that begin in the heart of man? So we think about the angelic rebellion. We're going to see that it was led by Satan. Um, the angelic rebellion probably would have had to have taken place sometime before Genesis 3 because in Genesis 3, we're actually introduced to Satan who at the time was in the form of a serpent. Uh, more than likely, he possessed the body of that serpent when he began to have a conversation with Eve about the tree. So there, the, the fall had to have taken place sometime before that. Some people call it the fall because the angels literally fell from heaven. They were cast out of heaven by God. Here in that particular uh, chapter, we see him on earth in Eden. A lot of people think that at the fall, at the great angelic rebellion, when the angels rose up against God, that God sent them all to hell. Well, that's actually not accurate. Now, some he did, and we're going to find that there are some angels who are actually in bonds and in chains even today. But there's other angels who God, for some reason, did not immediately place in hell, but has allowed them to dwell here on earth. Satan himself does not live in hell. Satan lives on earth. Um, the first time that we see Satan, he is on earth. You're going to continue to see throughout Scripture in different places. The Bible even calls him, lowercase g, the God of this world. Um, the, the principalities of the air, um, you're going to hear demons referred to sometimes. And what that is saying is, is that they dwell here on earth. They dwell here among us. Now, you may say, well, Ben, um, do they have a bodily form like we do? Well, no, more than likely they're in a, a spiritual realm that you cannot see, um, that you really are not seeing at all with, with your visible eyes. But what, what the, is important for you to know is, is that they are here, here on earth, and they are carrying out a purpose and a plan given to them by Satan, who is their leader. So what was the rebellion in heaven all about? 
One is Isaiah chapter 14. Again, if you're taking notes, these will be some good things for you to go back and research at a later date because I don't have time really to discuss them in great detail and depth. But in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, we see a glimpse of what Satan's aspirations were. Okay, And then we're going to start there in verse uh, 13. All right, It says, You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of, the God, of God's assembly in the remotest part of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. And here is the root of his intentions. I will make myself like the most high. Here we have a, kind of an allegory found in Isaiah where um, Isaiah is talking about the king of Babylon, but there's also a portion in that description where things kind of change in this description. And it is almost like he's no longer talking about an earthly king, but he's talking about someone in the spiritual realm. And then later on you're going to see that there are mentions of Lucifer, uh, the angel of light. So here we see that Satan's intention was to make himself like God. It was in order to make himself like the Most High. He was so obsessed with himself and so infatuated with himself that he decided that he was going to usurp the authority of God and he was going to take the place of God. We also see in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 28 is another uh, passage of Scripture that is going to give you an insight into who Satan is and his plans to uh, usurp God's authority. Ezekiel 28.15 teaches this, From the day you were created, talking about Satan, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. The nature of Satan's sin is found in 1 Timothy 3.6. Again, if you're writing these down, 1 Timothy 3.6, and this is what it says. He must not be a new convert, talking about the qualifications of a pastor, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Well, as we see here, the condemnation that the devil received from God was in God's response to his uh, being conceited. His being self-focused. His being, I am going to make myself like God. I'm so beautiful and I've got this thing figured out. I'm so powerful that I think I can lead an army of angels against God and I think I might actually win. Here we start to see the very nature of Satan's sin. Even when we look in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, we see that Eve is walking through the garden and there she encounters the serpent. She encounters him near the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And what that was, was a tree that was placed in the garden that God had commanded Adam and Eve not to eat from. But as Eve is passing by the tree, the serpent, who is Satan, the Bible makes that clear, reaches out to her and says, has God really said X, Y, Z? Has God really said that you would die? Did God really say that if you do this, that, this, that, that one day you're going to cease to exist? Did God really say all of these things? And as he's questioning God, he's trying to grab Eve and Adam and pull them into his scheme. And here's why he's doing that. If you go back and you look at it in the context of the great rebellion, the fact that Satan rose up in heaven one day and he said, God, I'm taking your throne. God, I'm just like you. As a matter of fact, I'm better than you, and I'm going to sit on your throne. Well, obviously God could not have uh, put up with that for a moment because there's no sin in the presence of God. And immediately Satan and his, his demons that followed him were cast to the earth and to hell. When we think about this in the context of that whole situation, we start to see why Satan was so interested in Adam and Eve. See, Adam and Eve were created in what? The image of God. Therefore, Adam and Eve reflected God's glory. 
Did you know that you sitting there today, whether you're saved or not, you actually are created in the image of God, which means you are reflecting the glory of God. The fact that you're able to appreciate beauty, the fact that you love your children, the fact that you love your spouse, the fact that you appreciate the beauty of creation, the fact that you understand that there's a right and a wrong, all of that is encompassed in the fact that God has put his imprint on your DNA, that you are created by him and you are created to reveal his glory and his goodness. Well, now we know why Satan was so interested in Adam and Eve. He wanted to destroy them because he knew that if he destroyed God's greatest creation, that it would hurt God the most. Because, see, he was still mad. We don't really know when they were cast out of heaven. We don't really know when the fall took place. But again, I said it had to have taken place sometime pre-Genesis 3. But Satan's revenge and his vengeance against God would have been toward God's greatest creation. Because remember, he can't hurt God. He's already tried that, and it didn't work. Now he knows the way that I can hurt God the most is I'm going to hurt and harm those he has made in his image. Did you know that no matter what color your skin is, no matter what country you're from, no matter what uh, religious practices you're involved with, no matter what age you are, no matter if you're just uh, one second post-conception or you're 95 year, years old in the nursing home, it doesn't matter, you are created in the image of God. That you have eternal value because God made you. You have eternal value because God spoke you into existence and he made you special. See, the animal kingdom, they can't make a claim to the image of God. The trees, they can't make a claim to the image of God. Outer space, the most beautiful star you'll ever find in the sky cannot make the same claim that you and I can make. The Bible says that only man was made in the image of God. Only we were made specifically to reflect the character and the glory of God in that special way. Well, the best understanding in Scripture that we have, so you're probably saying, okay, Ben, I understand the, these peripheral details. I understand kind of how all this came about. I understand the heart of Satan when this happened. But how do we know that a third of the angels were cast out of heaven? How do we know there was actually a war in heaven? How do we know that all this actually took place? Well, a lot of times people speak of these things as though it is just absolute known fact that X, Y, Z happened. But it's quite interesting. Once I really started to research this, I found that it is more obscure than you might think. There's really nowhere in the Bible that specifically states the specifics about this rebellion. The closest thing that we come to, even coming up with one-third of the angels rebelled with Satan and left heaven with him, is found in Revelation 12, verses 3 through 9. Now, those of us who are dispensationalists, who believe in the rapture, we believe in the seven-year tribulation, we believe in a literal thousand-year reign, we understand Revelation to be talking about events that are yet to happen, uh, really a narrative and a timeline of events that are still to come. But in Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 through 9, we have a very interesting uh, passage here that speaks very closely, almost not identically, to what the fall may have looked like. So beginning in verse 3 of Revelation 12, the Bible says this, Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Now if we go back, we understand, and also it actually um, speaks to this later on in this scripture, that that dragon is Satan. Okay, it's, 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 it's a fact that Scripture does teach that this dragon is Satan. It says in verse 4, its tail, talking about the dragon, swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. 
It says, And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male, who is going to rule all nations in an iron rod. Her child was called up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. So there we have this battle. Here we have where this, this dragon swept away a third of the stars with him as he fell to earth. And then verse 7, it talks about the war. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, who we know is Satan. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. You notice how the scriptures wanting to be very clear about who the dragon is. He is the serpent, Garden of Eden. He is the devil, and he is Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to hell? No, to earth, it says, and his angels with him. Wow, very, very interesting passage there. And what I, heard, I read from a lot of scholars is, is that, yes, this very well could be pointing forward to a future event, another type of war between good and evil, but also it has its roots in the previous war that took place in times of ancient history, in times where Satan originally rebelled against God and was cast out, he and his angels. So here we have the idea of this angelic rebellion. Here we understand how there came about demonic evil. Here we understand how there came about actual sin. Did you hear what we read earlier? It says that there was wickedness found in Satan. Now there's a lot of people who are going to argue and they're going to say, well, if God created Satan or God created Lucifer, even though he created Lucifer perfect and holy and without sin, because Lucifer, one of his creations, sinned, therefore God must be the creator of sin. Well, that's false, because if you understand the nature of what free will is, you understand that when God gives a creature free will, he does not influence that creature's will. He does not, talk, he does not make that creature do something that creature does not want to do. So if Satan, as the Bible teaches, indeed has a will, then sin was actually created, sin was actually uh, began in the heart and the will of Satan himself. So Satan is actually the beginner of sin. Satan is actually the forerunner of all sin that we see that has plagued the earth today. Satan is the one that introduced sin into the human race. Satan is the one that brought about the curse from God upon the human race when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the fruit. But he was really only acting out of anger and vengeance because of what had already happened to him. See, Satan is not one who wishes to repent. He never will repent. As a matter of fact, the Bible does not teach that Jesus died for the angels. In other words, when an angel sins, the angel has no hope. When an angel sins, they can't turn back. They have crossed the line that they'll never be able to go back across. So as human beings, we see the fact that we're sinners, and yet God sent his son to die for us. Now, there's a lot of you, and believe me, I know you, and I've seen you, and you're pretty ugly. Amen? <laughs> Look at Levi smiling like I'm talking about him. Levi, I wouldn't call you ugly. You know better than that. But listen, God thinks more highly of you than he does the angels. God loves you more than he loves the angels. Because remember, he didn't send his son to die for the angels. He sent his son to die for you. And that is an absolute amazing truth that I'll never be able to fully fathom. And I think mostly it's because I know me. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. 
And to think that a perfect God, the creator God who doesn't need me, saw fit to send his only begotten son for me. Jesus bore my sin on the cross. Jesus died a criminal's death that I should have died. It's absolutely mind-blowing. But here, Satan has no hope. Satan has no way of ever making this right. And I think that really incites his evil and his wickedness even more so. You know, sometimes we talk about as the end becomes closer, as the end of time comes closer, Satan is going to ramp up his, uh, his purpose. He's going to ramp up, really, his idea of destroying humanity. And that's why we as Christians, you know, as I was talking about Pride Month and as I was talking about the fact humanity is adopting Satan's plan. Humanity is adopting the sin of Satan himself. You know, I was talking about the root of the Pride Month. You find the root of Pride Month in the angelic rebellion. You find the root of Pride Month when Lucifer looked at God and said, I am better than you, I'm more powerful than you, I'm more beautiful than you, and I'm going to take your throne. Today, the pride movement is no different. As people say, you know what, yes, I was born a girl, yes, I was born a boy, but today I'm going to be the opposite. Today, I am going to uh, have a different identity, and, and I'm going to even make you call me by my proper pronoun. They are committing the exact same sin that Satan committed. They are looking at God, and they're saying, God, I know more than you know. God, I'm better than you. And God, I reject your truth. God, I reject your power. God, I reject your authority. And that is something that we even need to teach our children about. As they encounter that in school, as they encounter that online, as they encounter this idea of Pride Month and this idea of the, 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 the lesbian, the gay, the bi, all that different stuff, that agenda, we're going to have to teach our children that that is contrary to the Creator, that that is a position that is taken just like Satan took, in contrary to what God wants for each of us. The Bible teaches in the very first few chapters of the Bible that God created man in his image. He created them male and female. And then the very next few verses mention the command that God gave Adam and Eve. And what does it say? It says, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, that doesn't, that's not to say that every couple must uh, have children. Because I know there are many circumstances that go into that. I understand that, and that's not at all what I'm saying. But it's impossible for the human race to engage in a command that God gave unless there is marriage between one man and one woman. Two men cannot fulfill that command. Two women cannot fulfill that command. And you say, but Ben, what about their feelings? Well, listen, we all have feelings. And I don't ever want to undermine your feelings or even someone who is caught up in that lifestyle or even trying to pursue that lifestyle. But I will say this, that my feelings have never changed the truth. And your feelings will never change what is true. And although I want to be sensitive to your feelings, I am not going to let your feelings dictate what the God of heaven has deemed to be true. And today, as we look at this angelic rebellion, we're seeing humanity following the very same footsteps of Satan and the demons as they shake their fists in the face of God and say, God, I don't want your way. I want my way. Your way's no good. Your way doesn't give me fulfillment. I want my way. So the last thing that I want us to see is this, the ultimate end of the rebellion. We know that the rebellion is ongoing. We know that the rebellion is in play as we speak right now. But if you're taking notes, that last point, the ultimate end 
of the rebellion. And I assure you, the rebellion will come to an end. And I assure you, there will come a day when the rebellion will be squashed. We see that in Jude, verse 6, the last part of that verse. It says this, He has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Here we see that those angels, which we define by what the Bible says, who abandoned their proper dwelling, which was in heaven, and and left and, and came to earth in order to rebel against God, we find out that those angels, because of their rebellion against God's plan, because of their rebellion against the authority of God, they are now destined for eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on that great day. You know, I was doing some history or some research about my family not too long ago, and I knew this vaguely, but I wanted to get a little inf- more information about it. But my great, great, great grandfather, his name was Henry Christian Heisey, was a lieutenant in the Confederate Army. And I found out later on that he was actually present at the surrender in 1865, and he heard General Robert E. Lee's farewell address. Well, there's two different things there that we find, and I know because of our heritage, there's a lot of us who are very sympathetic to the Confederate cause because our ancestors were very uh, involved in that, and there was some good that came from that rebellion against the federal government back in the 1800s. But there is something that we have to be sure of and we have to understand is that the rebellion was squashed. The rebels lost. There was no way forward for the Confederacy. And because of that, Obviously, my great-great-great-grandfather was present at a surrender where he actually acted as a captain of his company when the surrender took place and was present when General Robert E. Lee gave his farewell address. But in the same way that the Confederacy lost, that the rebellion was squashed, did you know that the rebellion of the angels will be squashed ultimately? And not only the rebellion of the angels will be squashed, but there will be a great surrender at the end of time where Satan, his angels, and all of humanity who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ will be thrown into outer darkness, will be thrown into a place called hell, as the Bible teaches, eternal chains. The Bible also teaches that there is fire there, day and night. The Bible also teaches that it is outer darkness, so so dark that you can't see anything for all of eternity. The Seventh-day Adventists would teach of what they call the annihilationism, which means that they believe that after a certain amount of time in hell, the spirits who are there cease to exist, and they just die and they burn up. But my Bible doesn't teach that. My Bible teaches of an eternal damnation, of an eternal hell, of an eternal punishment. And what is so interesting is who hell was actually created for. Did you know that hell was not actually created for humanity? Hell was created for Satan and his demons. A few verses that I wanted to point out about the the fall of the rebellion and about the consequences that Satan reaped after he rebelled against God. Isaiah 14, 15 says this, talking about Satan. But you will be brought down to Sheol, which is the place of the dead, into the deepest regions of the pit. Isaiah 14, 15. That is the destiny of Satan. Ezekiel 28, verses 16 through 18 says this about the judgment upon Satan. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence. You sinned, so I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom 
So I threw you down to the ground. I made you a spectacle before kings. You profaned your sanctuaries by the magnitude of your iniquities in your dishonest trade. So I made fire come from within you, and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of everyone watching you. You know, it is no secret that God wins. It is no secret that in the end, there are no excuses. It is no secret that God's righteousness will prevail. That in the end, sin will be ultimately squashed forever and ever. Satan will be thrown into his proper dwelling place. All the demons will go there as well. And sadly enough, those who have never accepted Jesus will be right there with them in a place of eternal hell. So the consequences of this great rebellion. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says this, For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. Understanding that he didn't even spare the angels, do you really think that he'll spare those who do not accept him as their Savior? Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says this, Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And believe it or not, that's not a political statement, by the way. Any laughs there? No, I didn't get any laughs out there. So then what that story is about is, it talks about in the future, at the great judgment, God is going to separate humanity, one side to the other. The goats will go to the left. The sheep will go to the right. And there's going to come a time at the end of that judgment where he tells those who are the goats who are to the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now that's heavy stuff, isn't it? That is it. This is a heavy passage. But I, I have to preach God's word. That, that is my duty as a pastor. And if I don't preach through God's word verse by verse, then what I'm doing is, is I am placing my emphasis and my understanding on the word. No, we need to take his word for what it says. And we then need to let it affect change in our lives. Like we've said before, our church believes that the scriptures are our foundation. And we're going to stand on the word of God no matter what society says, no matter what month of the year it is. No matter what, we're going to allow the Bible to dictate what we believe because we believe the Bible is absolute truth. It doesn't just contain truth, but it is truth. All 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. So when the Bible teaches about this great rebellion, and Jude's whole idea throughout the letter is, is be careful, beware, take heed. There's going to be people who come among you who are going to try to veer you from the truth. Listen, this is what happened in the past when those same kind of people did that same kind of thing. We talked about the children of Israel and the 12 spies who rebelled against God's promise to give them the promised land, and therefore they were judged in the wilderness for 40 years. Then we come to this place about the angelic rebellion, where Satan chose to disregard God's design and disregard God's authority and rebelled against God, and we see that the consequences were horrible. We see that the consequences led to a terrible, terrible outcome. So then we have to ask ourselves, what does God want us to see in the book of Jude? What is God trying to speak to you individually about this great angelic rebellion? Well, it is simply this, that if God says that it's true, God is truthfully God, and his truth is the only truth. No matter the psychologist, no matter the therapist, no matter the, the PhD, no matter the politician, no matter the lawyer, no matter the doctor, it doesn't matter what kind of human wisdom and human knowledge you can throw at this thing. God's word ultimately is objective truth. 
You know what objective truth actually means? It means that it can't change. It doesn't even mean that it won't change. It means that it can't change. That at the end of the day, no matter what happens, no matter what circumstances, no matter who's involved, God's word is truth and it will always be truth. And it will always be the truth, absolute truth. And what we're seeing today, what we saw in the angelic rebellion and what we're seeing in our society today is a group of people that say, I want my own truth. And you know what that's based upon? I want to sin against God and have it my way. God, you're not good enough. God, I don't want you anymore. But you know what? There's hope. As I talked before about the Lord Jesus, God was not willing to leave us in our sinful state. God could have not sent his son, the Lord Jesus, and he would still be God. He would still be just as glorious and just as wonderful. But he has compassion. A lot of people say, well, Ben, you know, with this hell thing, is God really a compassionate God? Why doesn't God come and stop the evil and the wicked that happens in this world? Do you not realize he did 2,000 years ago when he sent his son, who is God in the flesh, to intersect this world, to, to be a part of such a sinful world, to see such evil, to be exposed to such wickedness? He's already done that, guys. He is a compassionate God. He is a loving God beyond all comprehension. Listen, sometimes we think, well, you know, I don't deserve hell. Did you know that there's no human that doesn't deserve hell? Because hell is, the, the being deserved to go to hell is based upon our falling short of God's holiness. And you know what? We all fall short. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So today, I want to encourage you with this. If you know Jesus, you can shout it out today. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No matter what happens at the end of time, the Bible says that you will have a place in the new heaven on the new earth. And you can shout it out. But you know what also I want to encourage you with today? Is that there's a lost world out there who doesn't know Jesus. And if they were to die right now, this very second, they would die and go to a place called hell. You know what? God has called you in Candler for this day. God has allowed you to exist in this day and age so that you can reach a lost and a dying world. And as we think about VBS coming up, listen, I can't think of any more event, more important and more valuable to reaching our community than VBS. We've got flyers out there for both VBS and the hymn sing. You can grab a stack of those, invite your friends and family, because I promise you, if Pole Creek's having an event, we're going to have the gospel at that event. And we're going to share the gospel with a lost and a dying world. You have the opportunity to take part in reversing someone's destiny from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven, based upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, based upon the blood that was shed for you on the cross. This morning, you may be here and you may say, Ben, I've never been saved. Ben, that's heavy and and, and I'm under conviction right now. Well, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You don't even have to go home first and think about it. But if you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to accept Jesus, you can do that this morning. Here in a little while, we're going to have a time of altar. You're welcome to come up and receive counsel from any of our pastors. You can also sit right there in your chair. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You can call out to the name of the Lord Jesus today in your very chair and you can say, Jesus, I'm not sure if I know you or not. But one thing I do know is that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. And based upon that, Jesus, will you save me? Did you know the Bible teaches that based upon that faith, 
Your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. One day when you stand before Jesus and he's at that great judgment and, and he's looking at some and he's putting them over there with the goats, he comes to you. You know what he's going to say to you? I know you. You come over here. I know you. You're going to stay with me because you accepted me that day, because you trusted in me as your Savior that day. And I'm not so naive as to think there's not someone here who doesn't know Jesus this morning. And I would love nothing more than for you just to give in, just to submit. Don't be like Satan and the angels. Don't be like this pride movement today where your pride is swelling up and you're lashing out against God. Just submit. Fall to your knees. Say, God, I'm done fighting it. I just want you. And I promise you, he'll save you based upon the authority of this objective word of God, the truth. He will save you. Let's pray.